Good morning, how are we doing? I know, all the mornings. Um, I'm still like reeling from a great women's retreat, if you were there, right? That was awesome, if you weren't, I missed you. It was so fun, but uh, imagine with me for a minute, a little girl coming down the carpeted basement stairs in the morning in her cute footy PJs and her her silly hair and her you know sleepy face. Her parents are already down there because they're working out. Um, they're trying to get that in before the kids are up. And they're all zen in their yoga poses and, and they don't see her because um, they're concentrating on their breathing. And she doesn't mind the not being seen part because it's Saturday and she just got a Kindle for her for Christmas and she knows on Saturdays it's like go for it time. So she's, she's excited to be in the corner and just, you know, go for it. So she finds her game and, and she starts to play and Kindles are awesome until everything freezes. <laughs> oh, you know, and so she, she does what any little girl does in that moment. Mom, 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 right? And her, her zen-like warrior mom in this moment is, is ignoring her. Uh, all, she, all she wants is for her mom to fix her Kindle. This is not a big deal. Like, she has done this before easily, easily. Can you just, mom, it's not a big deal. Mom, can you make my Kindle work, please? Like, can you just, like, it's not working. I don't know how to do it. I just, I, I don't, can you just help me, please? You know, her mom, you know, goes into downward dog, <laughs> really trying to keep it together, and says, you know, says something about maybe character formation and patience, you know, whatever. The girl doesn't really hear, Mom, I need it to work. You know that one word they can drag out for, I need it to work, right, right now. And it's, it's, like, it's like killing her inside. So this, if you can imagine the little girl, this is supremely frustrating to her. She just wants her Kindle to work. Her mom's done it. Why not now? Why can't she just fix it like, right now? She just, wants, she just wants her little game to work, right? This scene may or may not be in my basement. You can be the judge if that has happened here before. But if, if there's anything, I'm sure it feels familiar to you on a couple of levels. We have all felt like the little frustrated girl. When something is not working in our life, there's an outside situation, a circumstance that you're like, I just got, can you just can you make this work? Or you can feel like the mom that's like, just a minute, I'm going to finish what I'm doing very calmly and sometimes not so calmly. It's just this little slice that was happening in this everyday moment that, that, that gave me this little picture of what we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 4. Um, before we get there though, we're going to look at, um, to get like the best out of Luke 4, we're going to look at this, this moment in Isaiah, um, which is just it's this foundational Messiah passage in Isaiah, and I love it. It's chapter 61, if you know anything about what I love about the Bible. It's this passage. It's fantastic. Um, and I'm excited about our series, as Steve talked about, to, to learn Jesus and to keep learning Jesus. And I know that some of you here this morning, maybe you're learning about Jesus for the first time. I'm so glad you're here. Maybe you've been learning Jesus for your whole life, and, and I hope that you get a fresh perspective this morning. We're going to do this together. We're going to learn him together. So we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 61. If you have your Bible, go for it. If not, it's on the screen. We're just going to look at the first two verses, this foundational Messiah moment. 
It says, the spirit of the Lord, this is, this is Isaiah writing, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Anointed, it's not an everyday word that we're using. It's not like we hear Rachel Ray say, you know, I'm going to just anoint the vegetables and then bake for 350. But it's something we could, we could hear Rachel Ray say because she loves her E-V-O-O because anointing means to dump oil all over something. Like not just a sprinkle, it's like to pour oil all over. And, and then in Hebrew, the word Messiah actually means anointed one. And in Greek, the word Christ means anointed one. So Messiah, Christ, anointed one. The, the word would bring to mind to a Jewish person this picture of oil being poured on top of a priest or king's head. And so much oil that it would be like dumping down and dripping from their beard. This is what they would imagine when they heard the word anointed. And those who were waiting for the Messiah would be waiting for the anointed one like capital A, anointed one. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. The word good news is from the word gospel. They're, they're interchangeable. The gospel, the good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So just tuck this Isaiah passage like a pen behind your ear for a minute. And we'll pull that pen out and use it to underline it. But this is this is something we're gonna we're gonna keep as we turn to Luke 4 now. So as we come to this passage, Jesus has just come out of 40 days of not eating. He fasting, he had been in a desert, he had been accosted by the enemy, tempted to, to make his own bread, tempted for prestige, for power, for, for all these things. So he's coming, he, and, and here he is. He's coming out of this. And, and we start here, Luke 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned from the desert in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So the rumor has it, or the report went on, you know, that Jesus, he's being glorified. I mean, in this moment, everything is awesome. Like, it's fantastic. People love Jesus. They're glorified. If Jesus was on Facebook at this point, thousands of likes. This guy, we're loving him. He's the best. So let's, let's just see what happens next. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So let's just make a note here that Jesus is doing what we're doing right now. He went to church, right? He gathered with the faith community on a regular basis, really sweet. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, grab that pen, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes 
in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well. They marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. Someone handed Jesus Isaiah 61 to read. This was not by accident. This, in enrolling this particular scroll at this particular moment, he enrolls who he is and what he came to do. This moment was on purpose for a purpose, right here. So we're about to see, he's going to say, you know, who is this man? We're going to see what he says here. He reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me. So we've got that, that picture Oil, oil signifying that the Spirit of God is upon someone's life and service, is with him. <coughs> the anointed one. And he reads, he's anointed me too. And this is what they've been waiting for. He's about to say the gospel. This too, the, the, good, the good news, right? This is it. But, and, and he's going to talk about the redemption of this five-fold damage that sin has brought into our life. So I just want to stop for a second at that word sin, because it's a church word, and we often just say it without thinking twice. So let's be a church that thinks twice, right? Sin is an archery term. Some of you may know this, that when they were going for the bullseye and they missed, they would just shout out sin. You know, you missed, you missed the mark of perfection. And other definitions, sin is an offense to God and his perfect ways or to go astray. So since the Garden of Eden till now, sin has brought great damage. Right? And there is a need for a great work of redemption because of this. And Jesus fulfills five things that the anointed one will do to redeem the damage of sin. So look at, let's look at these five, five things. First, he came to preach the gospel to the poor. To the poor. Sin, sin impoverishes us. And the Messiah brings the gospel, the good news, to the impoverished. I love how Dallas Willard, he's a theologian, brilliant. I love how he resets this idea of being poor. He t he's like, it's a spiritual poverty. It's, it's as if the, he calls them the spiritual zeros. He calls us, he calls me. Spiritual zero. Those who are spiritually bankrupt. Deprived, deficient. The spiritual beggars. Even they can commune with their creator. Even they can be forgiven. Even they can be set free and, from sin and death. Even the destitute in soul and spirit, right? Do you catch it? Like the, the bottom. The second thing, he came to heal the brokenhearted. <clears throat> I mean, we know that sin breaks hearts, it breaks families, it breaks situations. And this is such good news that only God can come and heal a broken human heart. Right? He came to heal our pain, all kinds of pain. He came to heal sadness. He came to heal that chasm between God and us so that we could know him. Thirdly, he came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Sin makes people captive and enslaves them. And the Messiah came to set them free. It's so good. Praise God. We can be free from our deadly sinful nature. Like, we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. We can be set free through the Spirit of God to do the kingdom things 
That's what he came to do. We can experience the fruit of a spirit living in us, and we can have love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That, that's what he came. He came to do that. Fourth, he came to recover the sight of the blind. Now, we definitely see Jesus heal physical blindness, and we, we see him talk about spiritual blindness. And if we remember where he is in this moment, he's in a synagogue. So people gather, they come here so that they can gain sight, spiritual sight, so they can, they can see. Um, but we're going to see in just a second, they actually have some predispositions that keep them blind. But this idea of being spiritually blind could look like believing that prestige and power have a place in the kingdom of God. Um, and then possessing, possessing spiritual sight could mean, yeah, we're understanding that Jesus doesn't have a place for those things in the kingdom. In fact, he calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It's, it's the opposite. Lastly, he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Sin oppresses its victims. And the Messiah came to bring liberty. We can be free from the enemy's oppression, from his condemnation, from our shame, from our guilt. When the enemy points a finger at you, you can then point a finger at the cross and say, nope, it's all there. It's not mine. I'm done with it. So here's the most beautiful thing of it all. When Jesus, Jesus, he didn't come to only just preach deliverance or even to just bring deliverance. He came to actually be deliverance. All of it. You guys, I, I will not be offended if you pull out your phone and screenshot this. And I encourage you to take time this week to really meditate on each one of those things that he came to do. This is what, this is who he is. So good. He ends this passage by reading to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, which is kind of a bit of a nod to the year of Jubilee. In, in the Jewish world, this was a year. There, it was, there was one, this year was slaves. All slaves were set free during the year of Jubilee. Debts were canceled. Things, like any debt you had, canceled. Things were brought to a new start. This is what Jesus came to do. All the freedom. It's so fun. And then he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, I call this like a mic drop moment, right? This is amazing. He answers two, two questions about Isaiah for us in this moment. Like, oh, who did Isaiah write this of? And Jesus says, me. And, and when, when is this going to pass? Jesus says, now. Like, can you imagine? They are on the edge of their seats in the synagogue. This is crazy town. They've been waiting for this. He just said, right now. They're watching history in the making. It's, it's amazing. And I have to tell you guys, for many, many years, I have stopped at this moment in my Bible. So I'm like, it's too good. It's amazing. Shut up. Peace. I'm out. Like, this is awesome. Or then maybe I'll just stop right there and I'll go back to Isaiah 61. So I'm like, oh, it's so poetic. It's so good. And, and just kind of sitting there. Because I, I love when I feel the, the weight of my spiritual bankruptcy or my blindness 
or my need for liberation. Isaiah 61 is my go-to, but you guys, I do not pay attention to what happens next in this narrative. Because what happens next is actually kind of scary. It's, it's not, have you done this? Where you're reading something in the Bible and you're like, this is lovely and awesome. And then you read the next line and you're like, this is a little, what's happening? Like it's a little disturbing, confusing, off-putting. I'm not so sure I'm just going to close that. Is this anybody? Is this just me? You're so glad I'm your teacher this morning because I ignore. We're not going to ignore it. We're going to press it and we're going to do this together. So let's see what happens. And they said, so this is everybody in the synagogue to each other, right? They said, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? Remember, he's in his hometown. And they watched him grow up like that youngster like, that we've seen around. Isn't that Joseph's son? And Jesus responds to them. Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we heard you did a Capernaum. Do it do in your hometown here as well. And Jesus says, I, I say to you, no prophet, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. And then he goes on to tell them about that. He says, I tell you, there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were closed up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So he's, he's bringing up Elijah and Elisha. These were, these were the heroes of the faith to them. These were, these were esteemed and honored prophets. And he tells them about how they weren't accepted in their, home, in their hometown in Israel. They were all accepted by outsiders, by a widow, a Gentile widow, a leper from Syria. And Jesus says that just like they, they, Israel rejected those prophets, they're going to reject him. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. You just put us like them in that camp? And they rose up, drove him out of town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. And passing through the mist, he went away. Well, what just happened there? I mean, this is a cliffhanger. Like, I live, yeah, right? I literally missed the part where they're gonna throw him off a cliff. Like, what? like so bad, so cheap. Um, what's going on here? And the thing about throwing someone off a cliff, that was often the first part of then stoning someone, because then you, could, you would hurl stones down on their injured body. This story takes a major plot twist. Like what in the world, and why? Why did they go from like, he's the best, Facebook all the likes, to like, we're gonna, mm -hmm. right? What's happening? Here's what's going on. After after Jesus read this beautiful Isaiah passage, he knows the hearts of the people in the synagogue. He's very aware, and he exposes their hearts. He exposes the fact that they want a Messiah who will do what they want when they want it. They want a Messiah they can control. He tells them they're gonna say, hey, do what you did in Capernaum. You know, do, do the miracles, do the amazing things, fix our outer world, make the broken things work again, right? Make the government work, oh yeah, and my, my like inner self, like stuff that's like, just, you can leave that alone. Like just make my, my world work. 
And haven't we been there? Right? Like a little frustrated girl who, who's seen her mom, mom fix something very easily. This is not a big deal. She just wants her Kindle, her outer world to work, right? Like, fix what's in my hands. Don't fix what's in my heart. Right? I can step into her shoes so easily, and I can, it's, it's as if I would say, do what you, you've done in Capernaum, Mom. Like, do those beautiful things. I'm so, I'm so much more like the listeners in the synagogue that day. And when Jesus compares um, them to Israel rejecting, rejecting those prophets, right, they were extremely offended. So their praise turned to poison in 10 seconds flat. I find it fascinating that this little, this slice, this story, actually reflects the, the big story, the meta-narrative of Jesus' entire life, just right here that we see. He proclaims the gospel, hearts rebel, they want to kill him. <laughs> this is all a matter of minutes, and we see it play out over months. It's, it's a foreshadowing. Jesus exposes their hearts, and they didn't like it one bit. Right? Their anger got the best of them. A mob mentality ensues, and they, take, they, they try to kill him. Have you been there? <coughs> Angry at God for not making your outer world look like you want it to look. And then he exposes a much bigger issue, maybe a soul, a trust, a heart issue, right? And you've got some big feels about it all. Because, I gosh, you guys, we, we think we know what is good for us. What will bring us goodness, the good life. Like, we think, we know, we want, we want a padded and protected life. We want a safe and secure life. I want a magical Messiah that does what I want when I want it. This is me. I am the crowd. I, I have just wanted God to make my life wor work like it did before. I, I have wanted him to make it look like before we had, there was chronic disease and autoimmune disorders going on. I have wanted God to make me comfortable. I have wanted my own glory instead of his. I have just wanted him to give me what I want when I want it and not have to go through heart surgery to get there. I have wanted God to change my circumstances and not change my heart. But you guys, he's such a good dad. He's such a good dad, like a good father. He wants his children to grow up strong with an inner strength, an inner peace, an inner joy that comes from being connected to him. He's much more interested in our hearts and our healing, and our growth, and our formation. He's much more interested in us being connected to the true source, to the real mind, right? Friends, he may allow us to go through a valley, or a desert, or an uncomfortable time, so that he would, we would get closer to him. Because you remember, he's just coming off 40 days in a desert that God allowed him to go out there being tempted, being accosted, right? This is, this is where he's coming from. And if we were to be led out into a desert or into a valley and we kind of stiff arm God in that moment and we say, can you, just, can you please just do the beautiful things 
you've done before in my life. Can you just make my outer world work? We're going to miss the goodness of the gospel. We're going to miss the gift of brokenness. Right? The depth of knowing God because of the desert, because of the valley, because, because of that uncomfortable time. Because the thing is, his promise it, in the gospel is greater than our outer world working. His promise is an inner world that works. Right? That's so good. His promise is peace in the middle of chaos, like Daniel among lions. And if we can't find his peace there, then it's no gospel at all. His promise is joy in the middle of prison, like Paul in jail. And if we can't find his joy there, then it's no gospel at all. His promise is hope when we're forgotten, like Joseph in, the, in Egypt. And if we can't find his hope there, then there's no gospel at all. What keeps us from, from grabbing hold of the gospel? Right? What, what keeps us from having the peace and the freedom of the gospel in, in your hardest days? What is it that you're holding on to? Because you think it's the goodness that will give you life? Is there a position at a table that you think will make you finally great? Is there, is there a title at your job that you believe will make you the happiest? Or even in this place, in a, in a spiritual place, a spiritual title that you think will validate who you are and how you're made? I, I wrestle with these things, friends. I am not above the battle. I resonate with Russell Moore's thoughts in the book Tempted and Tried. He says, I want Christ, but I too often want him as a kind of quantifiable spiritual asset, as something I can always check to be sure of, just as I can check my bank account balance or my cholesterol level. I want what God has promised, but I want power of attorney to execute those promises when I determine I need them. He goes on to say, when our ultimate goal is security and protection, then God becomes a means to that security and protection. But when such things are threatened, we indict God with our grumbling, even when we carefully disguise this as venting against our circumstances, though not against God. We assume that God's love entails God's visible protection right now. When that is absent, we grow distant and prayerless toward God. We might want to throw him off. <clears throat> Friends, may we be men and women who know who the Messiah is. May we understand that he came to heal our inner world. That's good news. May we worship God and not our own plan or our own constructed Messiah. We don't often do this at Brookside, but we are this morning. I'm going to give us just a minute or two to reflect and respond. So as the band comes on up, we're just going to take some space here. You can take a note, you can get out your phone and write on the notes there, whatever you need to do. Write down some thoughts 
And here's some reflection questions. Which of the five messianic truths speak to you? Where have you gotten angry with God for not doing what you wanted him to do? Take time to confess, to thank, to adore, or maybe just, just sit. But we're just going to take a moment. God, thank you for the men and women in this room. I'm so thankful that you came to heal our inner world. We are in desperate need of that. I am in desperate need of peace in the middle of a chaotic Monday morning. And you came to give it. Pray that you would speak to us and we would commune with you. One of the incredible dangers of worshiping Jesus turning him into me. It's turning him into the, uh, the ideal version of me or the one I want him to be rather than allowing him to be who he is and having my fears and my hesitations met by his love. Stuff maybe talked about today. When we read those, when we read those passages, we're so inclined, or I've been inclined most of my life, to be on Jesus' side and be like, who are these fools who want to throw him off a cliff? But when Jesus warned them, you're going to be like the people who missed Elijah and Elisha. start uh, ministry over um, at oh, uh, Wood Lane. Thank you. Owens was the only word that came to my mind. At Wood Lane, and it's been very exciting, and there was supposed to be a meeting today, but Katie is terribly sick with something very contagious, and she decided to cancel. We were part of that. But I wanted to announce it because we're super excited that we've been able to have meetings over there, and if you want to know more about that, how you can be helping us reach out to people who a meeting like this is not going to work for them. We'd be super excited to have you join. And lastly, next week, for the middle schoolers, uh, for kids who are in grades 
6, 7, and 8. We are going to have our first meeting. So after the opening worship set, uh, when we say, could you dismiss, the middle schoolers are going to get to go. They'll have their own meeting. It will go until 1130. So if you've got a middle schooler, plan to be here a few minutes extra. We're just super excited for our kids who are of that age to get to be together and to share this church experience together. So if you've got middle schoolers, make sure you're here next week. We're super excited about it. A fantastic week. Father, we ask that you would bless these men and women, that you would bless them not just with stop or safety, but with well-being that comes from knowing you and being close to you. And if the hard things come, if the crosses come, Father, would you give us grace to understand and trust to believe that you're a good God who's growing us up. Thank you. Amen. Have a great week.